Hello, friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world, too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lemon with our first episode of 2024. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team's January camp and friendly loss to Slovenia, as well as preview the upcoming CONCACAF Champions Cup and maybe sneak in some Liga MX Clausura talk as well. Let's start with the U.S. and a national team camp that is sometimes affectionately known as Camp Cupcake. For much of the U.S. soccer's history, most of the national team was based domestically. So while the January friendlies fell outside of an official FIFA international window, it allowed the squad, you know, squad members to get reps with the national team and for fringe players to make an impression and potentially win a more prominent role. But as American soccer has evolved and more players are playing in Europe's top leagues, the January camp has featured fewer and fewer first team choices. Um, this camp especially. This year, the group of MLS players lost 1-0 to Slovenia, who was also not at full strength in San Antonio. The lone goal came after Bernard Camungo, who is a great story. He is a former Congolese refugee born in Tanzania before moving to Texas as a teenager. And to his credit, did have some good moments in this match, but had a nervy moment and a bad giveaway. And Daniel Sturm was able to slip in Knight's Gratishar around Columbus Crew center back Sean Zawatsky, who did not do a great job dealing with the threat in either marking or tracking back. And Gratishar had a nice finish to the far post past the crew's Patrick Schulte. We saw some players have good performances. We saw some players who probably, hopefully, won't get another call-up. And I questioned what exactly we were doing here in the first place. Dom, what were your thoughts on Camp Cupcake? I can't believe you got this excited about this match. First off, I feel like I was, we, we had yeah. been texting most of the week leading up to it, and your excitement to watch a bunch of no-names run around for 90 minutes was both hysterical and adorable at the same time. It had uh, just been so long since I had <laughs> seen the U.S. play, and really since I had done anything involving this podcast, January is just like the dark months for CONCACAF. I was just so excited. And you know what really did it? I think it was the matchup because all I could think about was the 2010 World Cup when we played Slovenia in the group stage. I vividly remember being in high school. Me and my boy Adam got out of school because it was right as like school was ending. We got Chipotle back when like Chipotle was new to Manassas. It was like the fun, cool, hip place to be. We went down 2-0 at halftime. We get Landon Donovan's insane like 18 degree angle shot that he roofed. Then you get Michael Bradley scoring on like a running toe poke half volley after Josie Outdoor gets a great header down to him. Then Maurice Adu, who is a legend, the winner. he scored the winner. It's robbed. You look at that. I'm still pissed about that play 14 years later. You could have called four different fouls on Slovenian defenders at that point on that free kick or corner kick. Sorry. It's like being tackled in the box, but he called a foul in the U.S. instead when literally no American player is committing a foul whatsoever. But it's fine. But even still, that result, even though it should have been a win, was huge in us winning the group in a group with England. Oh, like that is like probably among my top five U.S. men's national team games ever. And I think I just was delusional in thinking that this would come anywhere close to reviving those emotions. Um, I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not like mad at you for getting this jacked up about it. I mean, 
if I had not been away for my anniversary with my beautiful wife, Rachel, um, I probably would have paid much more attention to it. Um, I'll, I'll be transparent. I, I think I watched maybe 30, 35 minutes total of the match live. Um, and like, we didn't look impressive because we didn't have very many quality players on the pitch. But I think what I found really interesting, and you're probably once again going to tell me to get off Twitter and to not make it gospel, but it's amazing to me how not only when this roster was announced, but after the result went final, the number of people on U.S. men's national team Twitter that were like genuinely losing it and like calling for Burhalter's job. And like, I don't know, I guess my thing is, is our best players don't play in MLS anymore. They just don't. Um, there was a point in time where this match meant a lot. Um, Michael Bradley scored an Olympico against Panama in this mm, camp. Yeah. In 2013, 14, maybe 15, yeah. I think. Um, this was a chance for, at one point in time, a lot of senior level players to get reps together in an environment that was different and new and at kind of a weird time in the FIFA calendar because it's not an official window. But nowadays, that's not the that's not the case. Um, and so I I think so much of this camp just needs to be taken with a grain of salt because I, I still believe there's a lot of value in the two weeks that these guys get to play together. Um, I think it gives fringe dudes a chance to just experience a men's national team camp. I think it gives younger guys live reps that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, like, I mean, I'm thinking about it now, like Kamunga was a mainstay in the U23 Olympic side throughout the end of 2023. Okay. He screwed up in a friendly against Slovenia in front of 12 people in San Antonio. Hey man, it was a sold out <laughs> crowd of like that. 8, that to me alone is the environment you want him to do that in yeah. right like like wouldn't you rather that happen on a cool january in front of eight thousand people in san antonio against slovenia's b team as opposed to the quarterfinals of the olympics in august against sweden i mean yeah like i, I like yes is the result poor and disappointing Probably, but like for you people that are so angry, like stop reading so much into friendlies, man. Like you're acting like I was in 2011 and 2012 when I was a pretty fresh young men's national team fan or U.S. soccer fan, I should say. And I lived and died by every single result, friendly or not. Um, so no, I don't have many thoughts. I could not tell you who impressed or who didn't. I saw a few names on Twitter that I think you're going to bring up here in a minute. Um, I don't know who played well. I don't know who played poorly. Why we keep calling up Shaq more, I think is still a mystery to both you and I. Um, but that's okay. It was a January camp. I hope 
the coaches got something out of it. I hope the Olympic coach was there to kind of see what maybe some of his players um, would be able to do in August. And at the end of the day, man, let's keep it pushing to March. We got Nations League coming up. We got Copa America. And even if we don't win any of those trophies, this result is not going to matter in four weeks time. I did. I laughed when you shared a tweet with me of someone earnestly calling for Greg Berhalter's head because of the roster selection of the January window. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say that Greg Berhalter should be the U S men's national team coach, but I promise you it's not because of anything to do with this camp. I, I agree with you. I think what I am frustrated by, so I've said, you know, several times on this podcast that what I think is beautiful about American soccer is when we are our weird quirky selves but stay true to, you know, the game of soccer. And I think the January camp is very much that, like, there's not a lot of other teams that do this where we just have off FIFA dates. Well, there'll be and I think it could be April. something of, yeah, I think it could be something of value, especially in an Olympic year when you have a roster that's going to be under 23 and you get three exceptions. I think what's frustrating is that the, and to be fair, I mean, another grain of salt to take this with. Clubs are not obligated to release their players for this. So basically, any European club where we have Olympic hopefuls is going to tell us to go kick rocks because we're there in the middle of their season. So it's always only going to be MLS guys or maybe, I actually, yeah, maybe maybe Liga MX, but probably not because their amateur or cluster have just started. So it's, but I think what's frustrating to me is that a lot of the players that I think are going to be the most impactful for the Olympic team and some of the more exciting youth prospects on this roster didn't start and like came on as second half subs. Jack McGlynn should have played 90 minutes in this match. Yeah. The fact that he only played a half hour is crazy to me. And when the subs came on, the game changed completely. And granted, you know, you're playing against tired legs. So it's a little bit different, but the, the name that stuck out to me, I, I do have a handful that, that did impress me and a handful that didn't. Izmir Bayraktarevich. I, I yes. got, correct on that you got it. You got it. I looked up the pronunciation guide to make sure it was right. He was the biggest stand for me. He came on as a second half sub. Uh, he's 18 years old, New England Revolution player. Uh, immediately taking on defenders. He's not making dudes. He's creating dangerous opportunities, cutting in from the right. 78th minute, he blew past a defender, sent a shot just above the bar. That was probably the most excited I got the whole time. That was kind of the the most I got out of my seat at that point. And then a couple minutes later, he dices his way past a couple more defenders, has a shot blocked, falls to Jack McGlynn, who then sets up John Tolkien, who had a good look, hit it with the outside of his foot, went just wide. So just like an immediate impact. I thought he was really good. I hope he gets an Olympic call-up. Um Diego Luna was the player that I was probably the most looking forward to to seeing. He did start at the Real Salt Lake midfielder. He didn't have like a world-beating performance, um, but he showed some good flashes. The moment that really stood out for me for him was in the 30th minute. Played a really clever ball that got Vancouver Whitecaps forward Brian White in behind the back line where he squared it for Camungo. That was the best U.S. shot of the first half. The Slovenian keeper had to make a good save on that one. And then the third player that I thought was really good um, a lot of people, I mean, again, I spent too much time on Twitter. 
A lot of people were saying Byron Terevich. A lot of people were saying Luna. I didn't see a lot of people saying Josh Atencio. I thought he was really good. Uh, I thought he covered a lot of ground in the midfield. Played a number of really good, insightful passes that got people into dangerous places. Um, Sal Sounders midfielder Atencio. So I think he might be a guy that we could see moving forward. There's also just generally a really good I, – I made note of this in the 15th minute. Just a really good team move, especially for guys who don't normally play together, have just been thrown to this camp. So Timmy Tillman, who I just somehow learned is Malik Tillman's brother. I don't know how I didn't know that before. Combined with left back Dewan De- Jones, quick sidebar. I was laughing the whole time because I, I don't know the play-by-play guy's name, but he kept saying Dewan instead of Dewan, which I feel like is like, I get it. Pronunciation is going to be hard, especially from like different cultures and stuff, but like Dewan, are you kidding? Anyways, Gold Cup legend, Dewan Jones. So he combined with Tillman. White came down from, you know, high up the field as a striker. He played a one-two with Tillman. He Tillman immediately finds Atencio. Atencio plays a great diagonal ball into space for Jones to run onto. Now it ends with a pretty bad cross from Jones, but like the move overall, I mean, it happened in like seven seconds where we moved from basically our corner flag to being in a good attacking position. Love to see that. That's the kind of attacking style and attacking play that I think Greg wants to see. Um, I would like to see more of. I mean, the whole thing of Greg's tenure is a lack of chance creation. Um, and I think that is the kind of thing that can lead to more of that. So I was excited by that. I thought Jones in general um, actually did have a pretty good game. He was pretty enterprising, you know, down that left flank. Um, but it was good defensively, too. He cut out a lot of Slovenian stuff going on. Okay. Um, yeah, to your point, check more is not good enough for the international level. We all saw that at the World Cup. I don't know why we need to see it again. I think we saw it at the 2021 Gold Cup. He had that one yeah. moment against Canada where he scored the winner like 16 seconds in, but was pretty <laughs> mediocre most of, of yeah. that competition. That's going to be Shaq Moore's like best achievement of his career in my mind, just like random Gold Cup goal against Canada. Zawatska also did not impress me at all. And he's younger, and he might take a leap with Columbus. He, like, he played college soccer at Georgetown. He won the uh, MLS Next Pro with Columbus Crew, Columbus Crew 2. But uh, I'm good on seeing him in future camps for a well, while. Now I've got a question for you, and I'm just going to lead you to the answer you already have written down, but I really want you to expand on this. So – I don't think U.S. soccer is ever going to get rid of this camp or the April camp because the matches just genuinely probably generate too much revenue. Um, I mean, a sold-out stadium in San, in San Antonio, I'm sure, is good for the books in terms of selling merch, alcohol, tickets, etc. Same goes for wherever we're going to play Mexico in April, whether it's Glendale San Antonio again, maybe even L.A. at one of the collective MLS stadiums out there. That being said, these camps aren't going away. But, like, what what do they need to become for sickos like you and I and maybe even the up-and-coming fan to kind of leave satisfied with what they saw, whether the result's a win or a loss? I think the ideal of this camp is, you know how 
around like MLB All Star Weekend, they'll do like a like a futures game, or like the NBA will do like the Rising Stars Challenge. This camp should be that for MLS players. So if you're like 25 and under, and you're a type of player that will probably go on to play in Europe at some point in your career, the best of those guys from the past MLS season should be playing in this camp. That's what I think the ideal of it is. And maybe, you know, you throw a couple veterans, some bones to like fill out the roster. But I think it, as we have evolved and this is a good thing, like MLS should be evolving this way. I think it's a good thing that it is this. And we, there is not a successful U S men's national team without a successful MLS. And I will die on that Hill. But at this point in its evolution, you know, our best players are playing for Milan and Juventus and Dortmund. But we still need good, strong academies here, identifying teenagers, identifying young players and building them up and having them play, you know, as a 19, 20 year old in an MLS match, they show off what they can do. Then you go to Europe's big leagues. So I think ideally it's an opportunity in those guys' development to start getting those senior reps, get in a U.S. Full, I mean, technically full senior national team camp at that age um, and hopefully accelerate their development as well. Is, is that, should that be something maybe that is? And it kind of was like, that's kind of what this was. Yeah. But we started Shaq more. Like yeah, I'm just, just didn't fully I'm, commit to it. I'm I would just like saying, us to fully commit to what this is, you know, like, should fully committing almost be a part of what being the U.S. men's national team manager is? Like, should this be an important part of like, hey, man, part of your job right now is in these two windows specifically, you need X number of U23s or X number of even under 18s, like, like, because to me, it's like what I, I just mean. I think there's before. a long list of things that the U.S. men's national team manager that's should true. be. That's true. Yeah, I'm and getting. Too I don't th- know if I'm that's getting... the highest priority. Yeah, I'm right. getting too in the weeds. It's fine. It's fine. We'll we'll move on. Shall we move on? It, it's the January window, and we've already talked for like 20 minutes. But it, my biggest takeaway is Byrak Terevich is going to be a, a stud to watch. I'm excited to see his growth. Lovely. Well, should we get into it? We're actually going to cover the premier club competition in this beautiful region in 2024, the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup. How excited are you, Andy? I am pretty amped. I spent most of the weekend doing research on this and writing an article for our website that has yet to be launched, but we'll get there eventually. Trying to do a deep dive on all these teams. It is There's 27 teams the most there's ever been. Ten of them are MLS clubs. We have clubs from countries that don't normally get represented here. There are, I believe, seven teams making their debut in this competition. There is going to be some because CONCACAFness in this tournament, no matter what. I I could not be more excited to get into this. It's going to run from February to June. Well, <laughs> rubbing your hands together, yeah. Shall we? Preview the bracket, preview some of these teams. Let's get into it. All right. So for those who don't know, 
the I, I think Andy's Andy has had to have detailed this at some point in time throughout the last couple of months. But in the CONCACAF Champions League, we had 27 teams qualify, as he said. Five teams earned a bye to the round of 16. I'm pretty sure we detailed them at length through the late fall and early winter. But those five teams are Pachuca, Robin Hood, Alajuelense, Columbus Crew, and Inter-Miami. We'll get into more of the nitty-gritty details of those teams as we go. But those five teams will be joined by 11 winners in the first round to fill out the round of 16. The first in the first legs of the first round will be played between February 6th and 8th. Those matchups that played their first leg between those dates will play again a week later and then the remaining six first round matchups will play their first legs between the dates of February 20th and 22nd and then play again a week later before the round of 16 starts in March. So, that's the brief format. Each team will play two-legged ties all the way up until the final, which for the first time, I believe, is a single leg this year. I believe it's the first time it in kind of the modern era that it's one leg. So without further ado, we'll kind of go round of 16 matchup by round of 16, previewing the teams. I'm going to sit here and basically moderate Andy as he gives you the actual knowledge of who these teams are, what we can expect from some of these matchups, and, and what the competition could look like as we move forward. So without further ado, our first quadrant, and I'm immediately going to say, Andy, I think the win, the best of these three teams, I think has a very solid chance of making it all the way to the semifinals and could even be a favorite to make the final, given how I think this side of the bracket shapes up. So the team with the buy in this quadrant is Mexican side Pachuca and they will be joined in the round of 16 by the winner of Philadelphia Union from the U.S. and Saprisa, who is generally a giant in Costa Rica. Yeah, I think this is probably, you know, and you watch like a Grand Slam tennis event, like, oh, this is the, you know, Serena Williams quarter. This is probably the toughest quarter of the bracket, if you will. Pachuca, like if this was an NCAA tournament, Pachuca would be the number one overall seed. So they won the 2022 Liga MX Apertura. Mexico is basically two seasons a year in Apertura and a Clausura. And they were the better team basically than Tigres, the other champion. And that's why they get this by. They have won this competition, Champions Cup, five different times. Um, that's tied with fellow Liga MX Club Monterey for third most all time. They also have seven Mexican uh, titles to their name as well. Philadelphia Union, I think, got just a really tough draw. Philadelphia is fascinating. So they qualified. They would have qualified technically through the Supporter Shield standings, but they got here as the third-place team in the League's Cup. I don't know if you remember the third-place match of the League's Cup, but it was hilarious because it was Philadelphia and Monterey, and Monterey had already clinched their Champions Cup spot, so they did not need to win that game at all. So they just trotted out. After playing like a month straight on the road, just like the just random dudes that they found. I'm pretty sure they played like an academy team and Philly just destroyed them. And it was one of the more pointless games I've ever seen, but it was kind of funny. Philly under Jim Curtin has been really good. They won the supporter shield in 2020, but that is also the only trophy they have in their club's history. And it feels like their core is starting to kind of come apart a little bit. 
Alejandro Bedoya, who is the captain, absolute club legend, has not re-signed. Like, his free agency is kind of up in the air at the moment. They're also playing Saprisa, like, as you mentioned. Saprisa is the most successful team in Costa Rican history. They are the gigante, if you will. They have 39 Costa Rican league titles. They're also the winningest non-Mexican team in the history of this competition. They have won Champions Cup slash league three different times. They're also the most recent team outside the U.S. or Mexico to win it. They did so in 2005. Um, it's it's going to be a tough matchup for Philly just to get to the round of 16. And even if they get there, Pachuca's got some dogs. I'll give you a player to watch for every team. Um, we'll start with this quadrant. For me, for Pachuca, it's Eric Sanchez. He missed out on the 22 World Cup with Mexico, but in 23 really became a key figure in their central midfield um, under Diego Coca. He scored in the 2-0 win over Costa Rica in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup this summer. He wears the number 10 for them, hard of their midfield. It's going to flow through him. Opening weekend of this 2024 Clausura season, he assisted on Pachuca's alone goal in a 1-0 win over Cruz Azul, who is you know a gigante in uh, Liga MX. He blocked a pass in the attacking third, and he set up Jose Rondon, who's a Venezuelan national team's all-time leading scorer. So that's another guy they have at their disposal. For Philly, the guy to watch out for me is Daniel Gazdag, club legend, uh, Hungarian international midfielder. He is second in club history with 42 career goals. The attack is similar to Sanchez, is going to flow through him. And for Saprisa, Saprisa is always fun because they're just generally a really good source of Costa Rican national team guys. Kendall Waston, the center back, has been around. He's been around the block forever. MLS fans will probably be familiar with him. He played with Vancouver Whitecaps, was an MLS best 11 selection there twice, won a Canadian championship. He also played at Cincinnati. Great defender, good center back, formidable, but you can get involved in the attack too. He scored a goal at the 2018 World Cup, heading a goal. Uh, off a corner kick in a 2-2 draw with Switzerland. Um, also throughout Philadelphia Union and Saprisa, I say it's going to be a tough draw for them, but they have played before in Champions League in 2021. Philly dominated, won 5-0 on aggregate. Jamiro Moniero, a Cape Verde international, uh, now a San Jose Earthquakes, he scored a brace and a 4-0 win in Chester um, that really sealed the deal for them in that one. How important is it for Philly to come away with some level of a positive result in Costa Rica in that first leg? It's a good question. I think I don't I honestly don't know because I feel like if they win by multiple goals in Philly, that'll probably do it. I think I think as long as you keep it like worst case, a one goal loss, and you're probably still fine. If you lose by multiple goals in San Jose, you're probably in trouble. Do either of these teams have a chance to get past Pachuca in your mind? I I think Philadelphia Union at the height of their powers around that 2020 season, and then 2022 when they made MLS Cup Final and that epic game against LAFC, I think that Philly – could go toe-to-toe with Monterey. Philly has made – so they've made Champions League twice in their history. They made the semifinals both times. Um, The last time was in, in 2020. It was actually last season. It was a rematch of that MLS Cup final, but they lost LA 4-1 to on aggregate. Mm-hmm. 
I don't I don't know if that Philly is still around. And I think Pachuca will handle them. I think it'll be a good match, but I don't think it'll be. I think Pachuca will still win. Hmm. I actually think I'm funny having watched enough UEFA Champions League at this stage. Like the fact that Philly or Saprisa has that first match at home in the round of 16, I actually believe is a big deal. Um, Cause there are times where I actually think that the better team playing on the road in that first match is a disadvantage because like, let's say Philly just plays with their hair on fire after they advance and wins two or three nil then it's a super steep hill for even your best club teams to climb at home to advance. Um, so I think, I think it all comes if, if Philly can get a positive result in that first leg, I actually really rate their chances, not necessarily high, but I rate them to potentially push forward through to the quarterfinals, but that's also neither here nor there. And it's just me speculating. Um, Moving down the bracket from there, we have our next round of 16 matchup, which features Andy's favorite club team, probably in this entire competition, in Suriname's SV Robin Hood, who earned a round of 16 berth after winning, what was it, the 2023 Caribbean Cup. And just to make that, they had to win, what, the Caribbean Shield, I think is what it was called? Right? That is correct. Yep. So Robin Hood will play the winner of Mexican side Toluca and another Costa Rican side in Herediano. Uh, You are correct. SV Robin Hood is easily my favorite team in this competition. So to even, they won the 2022 SVB Arist Divisi. My Dutch is not great, but that is the Suriname top flight league. That earned them the birth to the Caribbean Shield which was the feeder tournament into the Caribbean Cup, which itself is a feeder tournament into the Champions Cup. In the Shield, they won every game in their group. They crushed Metropolitan from Puerto Rico 5-0 in the semifinals and then crushed Golden Lion from Martinique (laughs) 5-1 in the final. So that got them into the Caribbean Cup, if you're keeping up with me here. They once again won their group. And they beat Mocha in a penalty shootout in the semifinal. Then they shut out Cavalier from Jamaica 3-0 in the final across two legs. Believe it or not, this will be Robin Hood's 14th Champions Cup appearance in their history. Although it is their first since 1994, which is the year I was born. In the early days of the Champions Cup in like the mid-20th century, stuff Got a little weird. A lot of Caribbean teams did better than they may do nowadays. So remarkably, Robin Hood has made four finals in their history. Their most recent, though, is in 1983. They lost to Atlante, who's currently in Mexico's second division. A a different Surinamese squad, Transvaal, has actually won two Champions Cups in 73 and 81. Uh, Robin Hood, they are located in the Surinamese capital of Paramaribo. They have won a record 26 league titles. I love them very much. I don't know how great I feel about their chances in the round of 16 because they will be playing the winner of two really good teams, Toluca from Mexico 
Toluca has two Champions Cup titles to their uh, name. They most recently won in 2003. Uh, they also have 10 Mexican top flight trophies in their, their cabinet. Herediano is one of, you know, in Costa Rican soccer, there's really three gigantes, if you will. So Priest is one, Alajuelense is the other, and then Herediano is the third. Of those three, Herediano has the least amount of Costa Rican championships at 29. Still a pretty dominant team. Um, they actually finished uh, second in the aggregate. Saprisa won both Apertura and Clausura in Costa Rican soccer in 22-23, but Herediano finished second in the aggregate table. Um, they had a crazy... They lost in the semifinals of the uh, Central American Cup, but they, they clinched their Champions Cup berth through the quarterfinal win. They beat Comunicaciones from Guatemala in a crazy... So scoreless in the first leg. Second leg... They won 3-2 with a stoppage time winner from Fernan Ferron. So that was pretty dramatic, exciting for them. Uh, these two have never played each other. My players will watch overall for the group. For Robin Hood, Franklin Cinco de Cromo, fantastic name. He scored the 89th minute in the second leg of that Caribbean Cup final. Still won nothing on aggregate at that point up until the 89th. That goal really clinched it basically for them. For Toluca, potentially one of the most electric players in this competition is going to be Thiago Volpi. He's a Brazilian goalkeeper for Toluca, but he also takes all of his team's penalties. He was Toluca's, he is currently still Toluca's top joint scorer in the 23 24 season. He has four goals on the year. He has not missed a penalty kick yet in Liga MX. So that's electric. Herediano, the man I'm going to be watching, is Yeltsin Tejada, who is named for the first Russian president, Boris Yeltsin, for reasons I don't know. Uh, Tejada is the captain of Herediano. He plays for the Costa Rican national team. At the 22 World Cup, he scored the equalizing goal for Los Ticos in the group stage against Germany. I don't know if you remember that group stage, but at one point, Costa Rica eventually took the lead in that match, and it looked like Costa Rica and Japan were going to advance out of the group, and Germany and Spain were be were going to be eliminated. Eventually, Germany fought back to win, but Japan and Spain still moved on. But our boy Yeltsin played a pretty big uh, role in that chaos as well. I just want to say this like quadrant as a whole, leading to the semis. While I think it's clear that Pachuca are the 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 favorite of these what is it, six teams to advance to the semis. Could you imagine, like like just in your brain, imagine a second leg in Chester, Pennsylvania, between Philadelphia Union and SV Robin Hood for a chance <laughs> to go to the CONCACAF Champions Cup semis? I mean, doesn't that just sound like top-tier entertainment? I want nothing more. I think it will be really interesting. It's kind of hard to have a good measuring stick on Robin Hood because they're smacking around all these Caribbean teams. So I think they're clearly above. They have really proved that they were the best team in the Caribbean. I legitimately don't know where that stacks up against the rest of CONCACAF because traditionally at this point, you know, the Caribbean is probably the worst of the three kind of sub regions. Mm-hmm. They're immediately going to get a tough matchup as well. Like if they were playing, I don't know. Comunicaciones or like Realis de Lee. Right. 
like a random Central American Cup team, I think they would have a decent shot. I don't know how they're going to fare against the Liga MX team, but I don't know. Weirder things have happened in Paramaribo, baby. I just find this competition so fascinating because the, it starts at such a unique time in the calendar for soccer in this region. Um, like Liga MX, yes, goes July to May, but they have a break between seasons, and so they're just getting going. MLS hasn't started yet. Don't think the Caribbean teams have started their seasons. I don't believe, to my knowledge, um, but I just feel like it. It's it just is a, a a ground to create chaos. And although I think Pachuca will end up advancing to the semis, the once again the thought of a, a second leg in Chester, PA, between Robin Hood and Philly, I think <laughs> will always give me life. So, anyway. Uh, moving on to our next round of 16 matchup, which is one of three that does not have a team with a bye um, in it, um, is a quadrant that features um, a, a Mexican giant in Club America. They'll take on El Salvadorian side, Real Esteli. And then uh, Nicaraguan. Nicaraguan. Oh, my God. There's actually oh, no, no Salvadorian teams made it. No Honduran teams either. Olympia. I'm going to jump in with my nerdiness here. Olympia lost in the group stage. There it is. Of the right Central there. American Cup. Huge upset. So no, no Salvadorians, no Hondurans. Apologies. Nicaraguan side, Real Estelí. The winner of Club America and Real Estelí will play the winner of the Cade Cow-led uh, Chivas de Guadalajara and Forge FC. Um, I don't know about you, Andy, but I have a feeling we're going to be seeing an all Mexican round of 16 matchup here. This, this section has potentially the most possibility of because CONCACAFness. Uh, the, the all Mexican matchup would also be a super classico between club America and Chivas. Those are the, probably the two biggest clubs in Mexico. They're definitely the two most successful. They're the two probably the biggest rivalry. It's like the Packers bears of in terms of his history, at least maybe not success of Mexican soccer. So having that in the round of 16 of champions cup would be incredibly lit club America. They are the most successful team in this competition. They've won seven titles. They're also the, the most successful team in Mexico. They have won 14 Liga MX championships. Most recent champions league titles came back to back in 15 and 16 they also just happen to be coming off the heels of the title in the 2023 Apertura that just wrapped up. Player to watch for me for them is Alex and Dejas, our boy, the U.S. men's national team wiener. He was a part of the 22-23 Nations League campaign where the U.S. hoisted its second straight trophy. Um, he continues to be on the fringe of kind of the first team for the U.S., but has been really productive for Club America. He's been playing already this season. He had a productive Apertura, scored five goals, had three assists already opened up the Clausura with a wonderful assist um, and their 2-0 win at Tijuana. Real Esteli, an understandable blunder by you on the flags. Nicaraguan teams don't often make late stages in this tournament like whatsoever. Really not a huge presence in that Central American region. The best Real Esteli has ever done. Kind of hard to parse out across formats. They've made the group stage a couple times when the group stage existed. They also made the round of 16 in 2021. 
where they got smoked on aggregate 5-0 by the Columbus crew. Beloved U.S. men's national team legend Jazzy Zardes scored a brace in that uh, matchup. They are the second most uh, successful club in Nicaraguan history. They have 20 league titles uh, behind uh, Dirianjan. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but they have 31. My, my guy to watch for them is Juan Barrera. You've probably heard us mention, if you're one of the 12 people that listen to this podcast, him. He's the captain of the Nicaragua national team and their all-time leading scorer. As you mentioned, the other matchup between Chivas de Guadalajara and Forge, our boy Cade Cowell is a really fascinating case study. So for most of their history, Guadalajara has had a policy very similar similar to athletic club Bilbao in Spain who only play Basque players Guadalajara will only field Mexican players and until very recently if you were had like a dual nationality you basically had to like disown whatever the second one was and like pledge your allegiance to the Mexican national team Kate Cowell who is technically Mexican through his mom's side Super is still a U.S. men's national team player. I don't know how much Spanish he actually speaks. So I think Guadalajara is getting to the point where they are realizing that this policy is kind of hindering their ability to compete. I mean, Liga MX is a very international uh, league. Like a lot of different nationalities come to play there. Granted, most of them are from Latin America. You know, all the South American Countries generally have players and also a lot of Spaniards and, you know, every now and then some Frenchmen. Certainly a lot of, you know, U.S. U.S. players will play there, especially if they are of Mexican-American descent. I cannot rack my brain to think of an American that has ever played for Chivas. So going to be really fascinating. He missed a sitter the other day when he came on as a sub against Tigres, but he's still up and coming. You and I saw his first international goal uh, in the 6-0 drubbing of Trinidad and Tobago in the Gold Cup group stage at Bank of America Stadium in beautiful Charlotte. Cowell and the boys will be playing Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League. The Canadian Premier League is five years old, so they're a fledgling league, if you will. Forge FC, though, they play in Hamilton, Ontario, suburb of Toronto, really have been the dominant team in that league. They have won four out of the five championships. The one year they didn't win it, they won the CPL Shield, which is basically the regular season championship. They're the only CPL team to ever make a Champions Cup appearance. Uh, they lost 4-1 to one on aggregate to Cruz Azul in 2022. Uh, they qualified through the now-defunct CONCACAF League. Uh, my player to watch for them is Kyle Becker. He's their captain. Might be familiar to American soccer fans. He played NCAA soccer at Boston College. He bounced around MLS a little bit with Toronto, Dallas, and Montreal. Then he won the final soccer bowl trophy of the now defunct second try of the NASL with the San Francisco Deltas. Uh, he also made 18 appearances for the Canadian national team between uh, 2013 and 2017. Um, okay. You and I were talking earlier, the uh, Forge FC shares a stadium with the Canadian football league's Hamilton tiger cats. So Chivas US Chivas de Guadalajara will be playing at the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, former team of one Johnny Manziel, if you remember that one. You almost said Chivas USA. All I right. did almost say Chivas, Chivas USA. USA. Um, May Chivas USA rest in peace also. It is like, to me, and again, this this is why 
I, I'm convinced you hate me when we talk about brackets like this, because then I just go March Madness mode and I immediately start speculating down the line. This that Super Classico the, round of sixteen would be tasty. It would be, but it's also shaping up like this whole half is screaming Pachuca and America in in the semis. Yeah, I know Alajuelense is there. I know they're formidable. Um, but to me, Club America and Pachuca, I think, are easily the two best teams in this upper half of the bracket. I'm not sure if you agree, but yeah, I would agree. If let's now, 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 what happens to to the Mexican media if either of these teams don't advance to the round of sixteen? I and mean, I'm mainly, I'm mainly thinking about Chivas against Forge. I mean, if they don't win that seven to two on aggregate, like I'll give it to you if you win like this wild three, two because CONCACAF and on a frozen turf field in Hamilton, Ontario, like that's understandable. But when you return home to Mexico, like, like they should be drubbing these dudes by four or five goals. Right. If they, if they don't win that matchup on aggregate by five or six goals, I legitimately think the Mexican government will rescind Cade Cowell's passport and deport him back to the U.S. That's, like, that will be the reaction. That's incredible. Along with immediately firing the coach. Like, Mexican clubs love nothing more than firing their coach. Like, I think the longest tenured Liga MX coach is in his, like, fourth season. I am, like, it's so funny because I think – I don't mean to be rude, but a competition like this, while it's great that there's this many teams, this first round genuinely feels like when we follow JMU in the old FCS football days and you're watching Duquesne play like Towson in the first round and it's like, not that this game doesn't matter, but like the winner's just going to get their shit kicked in by insert top eight seed here. And like, not that Esteli and Forge don't deserve the opportunity to compete in this setting, but like, I, I will say, know, man, I talked some shit on Nicaragua. I will give Real Esteli credit. They made the final of the Central American Cup. They beat Saprissa in the quarterfinals. They beat Independiente from Panama, who they had previously lost to in the group stage in the semis. They ultimately fell to Alajuelense in the final, who now has a round of 16 uh, berth. Esteli might have a... Ch- like if, if there is any snowball's chance in hell in this section of the, of the bracket... It will be estimated at home. How much because CONCACAF happens in that opening leg in Nicaragua? (laughs) There's going to be some shit house. Like truly. No doubt. Like like I'm thinking like batteries are going to be thrown. Like like I don't know if Club America even makes it to the stadium. It's I mean, I think whenever like those Mexican giant clubs go on the road in Central America, like things get pretty rowdy. Um, oh, which is fun. It's going to be fun to watch. That is going to be top entertainment. All right. 
to the final round of 16 matchup in the upper half of the bracket. Um, we have another team with a bye, which is Costa Rican Giants, Alohalense, who will play the winner of MLS side, New England Revolution, and Panamanian Giant, Independiente. Yeah, so Alohalense, another Costa Rican Giant. They have won 30 league championships uh, in Costa Rica. They have won Champions Cup twice, most recently in 2004. Um, they actually beat Saprissa in an all-Costa Rican final. Um, like we said, they won the uh, Central American Cup. They were actually the third best team in Costa Rica in the year that qualified them here, but by far had the best Central American Cup. They won all four games in their group stage. They breezed through fellow Costa Rican side Cartagena 6-1 on aggregate in the quarters then prevailed over another Costa Rican team, Aridiano, and a shootout in the semifinals. And then, as we mentioned, kind of crushed Real Esteli. My player to watch, our boy, Joel Campbell, former Arsenal man. He's still playing? So he, he's been playing professional soccer since 2009. And so I'm thinking, like, man, Joel Campbell. I had the same thought. I'm like, man, Joel Campbell's still around playing for Alavalense. That's awesome. Like, how old is he at this point? Surely he's, like, 37. He's 31 years old. <laughs> He's Joel like Campbell's Lord 31. Wow. I, I He started playing pro when he was 17. That's how he's – and has just been at a high level since then. So I don't know how many miles he has left in the tank because he's played like a, like a thousand professional games. But, you know, he won a Greek league championship with Olympiacos. He won a, a community shield with Arsenal at one point. He is a reigning Champions Cup champion with Leon of Mexico from last year. Has returned to his home country. He ranks in the top five in both career caps and goals for the Costa Rican national team. His most famous goal came in a 3-1 win over Uruguay in the group stage of the 2014 World Cup, which was a decade ago. Uh, That's a tournament in which Costa Rica advanced to the quarterfinals, still the last CONCACAF team to do that. So they will get the winner of New England Independiente. New England, you know, as we all know, the fighting Esmir Bayrak Tarevich's <laughs> Outside of the state of Ohio, I think the biggest Columbus Crew fans in the world this December were the New England Revolution. Since the Crew, who finished third in the Supporters' Shield standings and would have qualified for the Champions Cup through that criteria, won MLS Cup and earned a first-round bye, plus St. Louis City winning the Western Conference and Philadelphia Union qualifying through League's Cup, the second-best Supporters' Shield standings finish slot fell to the Revs. If LAFC had won the MLS Cup over Columbus, LAFC would have taken that final spot. So, New England Revolution loves them some Wilfred Nazi. This will be their fifth appearance in Champions Cup. They've made the quarterfinals twice, uh, most recently in 2022. They lost in a penalty shot to Pumas. The Revolution are one of three original MLS clubs that have never won an MLS Cup, but they do have a 2007 U.S. Open Cup, 21 Supporters' Shield, and the 2008 Superliga, Remember Superliga? It was no. League's Cup before League's Cup. So lit. the only American team to ever win, New England Revolution. New England is, their roster is a great roster for U.S. men's national team sickos. So you got Gold Cup legend, Dewan Jones, or Dewan Jones. You got Byrak Terevich. You also have uh, Bobby Wood, scorer of 13 career U.S. men's national team goals, including one in the 2016 Copa America. But for me, the, the the real man to watch is Carlos Heel. When he's healthy, he's one of the best number 10s in all of MLS. Uh, he was the 2021 MVP 
He also led the league in assists that year. Independiente, they won both the 22 Clausura and the 23 Apertura in Panama. They went undefeated in their group, and they beat Motagua from Honduras 3-1 to in the quarterfinals to punch their ticket. They eventually fell to Real Esteli. This is just their second uh, Champions Cup appearance for Independiente. In 2019, they embarrassed Toronto 5-1 to on aggregate in the round of 16 before a 4-2 aggregate loss to Sporting Kansas City in the quarterfinals. That featured a brace from Hungarian international Christian Nemeth at Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City. They have only uh, regained their promotion to Panama's top flight in 2017. So they are by no means a gigante. They are a very new, a new rich club. Um, They have won six league titles since then, though, um, which is already the fifth most in league history. My player to watch, our boy Jose Fajardo. After an impressively productive 2023 for the Panamanian national team, he scored five goals across Nations League and Gold Cup, then had a completely empty stint with DC United, which frustrated Domini to no end. He scored no goals in seven appearances. So the late-blooming 30-year-old has now returned to his first professional club. And Austin probably still has some more goals than him. Um, I'm excited to see him play in this, too. Is this maybe the most wide open of the round of 16 matchups in terms of who could advance to the quarters because it feels like any of these three, should they make it to the round of eight to play likely Chivas or America would not surprise me. Yeah. I could like new England was weird last year, especially with like the Bruce arena firing, which I don't know that we still have the full story on what exactly went down there have a super talented roster it underachieved which is like the prime candidate for losing to a panamanian side in the champions cup in the first round independiente definitely has upset potential in them i i would not be surprised you know robin hood got the buy i'm not confident in their ability to get to the quarters i think if you put a gun to my head i'd pick alpha i'd say at this point you and I saw Alapolense see beat DC United. I mean, this. sure. I just feel like given the and I'll say little that I know about this trio of teams, given the little that I know, I just feel like they're all kind of maybe not equal levels of mid, but equal levels of because concacafiness. Um I will absolutely buy that. I I also like <laughs> Uh, again, I'm envisioning Alo Halenze playing in a cavernous Gillette Stadium in the first leg, and then and then New England going down to Alahuela in front of like celebs in in like every Costa Rican celebrity in like their luxury boxes while getting like flares thrown at them on also a turf field. Um, I've actually seen Alajuelense Stadium. I traveled to Costa Rica with Charlotte men's basketball in August of 2022, and we went to Alajuela to do some quote-unquote community service work. That stadium is literally in the middle of like the fucking jungle. That's it's, awesome. It's incredible. Like it's like in the middle of this like paradise. There. I mean, isn't most of Costa Rica like the jungle? I don't mean that disparagingly. I think it's like a no, this super shit is in like, bro, country. this shit is in like the mountains. 
Like it is in on like a mountainside. Like there's like goats eating palm leaves and shit here. Pura Vida, baby. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Love the Costa Rican homies. All right. On to our next round of 16 matchup, which is an all-American quadrant, so to speak, meaning that we are guaranteed to get at least one American side into the quarterfinals. So as Andy just mentioned... Eagle screech noise. America! Fuck yeah! Uh, Columbus Crew earned the bye to the round of 16 here after winning MLS Cup, and they will play the winner of our the because CONCACAF darling Houston Dynamo or St. Louis City FC. Like we mentioned, we talked at length about the crew and how good they are and what a good coach Wilfred Nancy is. I think they're going to be one of the favorites in this whole tournament, especially like they're keeping basically that entire team together. I just love the way they play. This is going to be their fifth Champions Cup appearance. In all of their previous appearances, they've reached the quarterfinal stage. Most recent was in 21 when they crushed Real Esteli, um, then eventually lost in the quarterfinals uh, to Monterey 5-2 on aggregate. They're one of the more decorated uh, clubs in MLS history. They got three MLS Cups, three Supporter Shields, and a U.S. Open Cup. Darlington Nagby, we also talked length um, about him and how good he is. The holy midfielder, he does all the dirty work. He gets involved in the attack. He wins everywhere he goes. He's won four MLS Cups for three different teams. He won a gold cup with the U.S. men's national team. Won a national championship with Akron. Just a winner, man. Houston Dynamo had a decent MLS season. They made the Western Conference final uh, before falling to LAFC. But really, the crown jewel for their season was the U.S. Open Cup, and that is what clinched their spot here. They beat the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the third round. Then Sporting Kansas City in the round of 32. They put four goals past both Minnesota United and Chicago Fire in the round of 16 in quarterfinals, respectively. Dramatic extra time win over Real Salt Lake. That set up the blockbuster final in Fort Lauderdale, maybe, against Inter-Miami. Messi on the bench, but Sergio Busquets still playing that game. Ben Olsen's men with a 2-1 win. One of One of my favorite matches from 23, honestly. The Dynamo are Champions Cup veterans. This will be their eighth appearance. They've made two semifinals, most recently in 08, when they beat Munici Powell from Guatemala 3-1 on aggregate in the quarters, but fell to Saprisa 3-0 on aggregate in the semis. Uh, our boy Adalberto Carasquia has got to be the guy. You and I are basically just agents for Coco Carasquia at this point. It, If anyone is listening, any mid-table European team from like Italy or Germany, that wants a box-to-box midfielder who also happens to be the golden ball winner at the Gold Cup. This is your guy, man. Like, give Houston Dynamo $10 million and you have a guy who's going to get you in a Europa League place. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. They will be playing St. Louis City, who is in their second year of existence. Super impressive. One of the, the caveats of qualification for the Champions Cup from MLS is most of it is supporter shield standings, but there is a guarantee for the non-shield winning regular season conference champion that this year happened to be St. Louis City. Now they were not at the generally they're at the top anyways, and they would have qualified, but they did end up fourth. But this gets them in anyways. Uh 
remarkable for an expansion team. I think most pundits had them finishing like 13th or 14th in the West, and they went out and just won the whole damn thing anyways. Since this is just their second year of existence, uh, this is also their debut in this competition, which is very exciting for them. My player to watch is going to be incredibly biased. But when I worked as a sports information director for VCU Men's Soccer in 2021, I got to see Celio Pompeo just absolutely dice up Atlantic 10 defenders on a regular basis, and it was just a delight. He, Despite missing time throughout the season for injury and suspension and like a visa bureaucracy thing they had to deal with at one point, he's Brazilian. He won a 10 midfielder of the year anyways. St. Louis has mostly used him as a super sub, um, but he did score a couple goals for them. It's really flashed that explosive skill that made him a special college player. Overall, I'm excited for our guaranteed American quarterfinalist. These two teams, Houston and St. Louis, did play twice during the 23 regular season as Western Conference foes. St. Louis won 3-0 at home in June, and the teams drew 1-1 in Houston in September. Is there an expectation for the crew? And you look at the quadrant that they would be joined up with in the quarters, which we'll talk about in a minute. Is there an expectation for the crew to advance to at least the semis here, just given what their path looks like? I know Houston and St. Louis aren't walks in the park, but if I'm Columbus, I guess I'd much rather play a fellow MLS side in the round of 16 as opposed to achieve us or a club America or even some other central American side. Yeah. I think Columbus's MLS cup round of 16 birth got them the rights to not play a club America in the round of 16. Yeah. I mean, I think they're head and shoulders above Houston and St. Louis at this point. Just, I mean, transitive property has never done us wrong. I think Columbus <laughs> bossed LAFC and then LAFC really bossed Houston in the Western final. They do have in the quarterfinals looming a probable matchup against T. Well, is my internet unstable? Columbus quarterfinal would be incredibly lit. I don't think that's a guarantee either way for either of those teams. Well, I mean, you, well, well, we'll get into it in a minute. But if I'm a Columbus crew supporter, I mean, I think it's hard for any MLS side, given the history of MLS sides in this competition. Um, it's hard to expect anything or require any level of a result. But if I'm Columbus, I feel like I would be genuinely disappointed if they do not make the semis. I know they could potentially play Mexican Giants T-Grace, but... At some point, if you want to be the best in the region, like that, that is a tie that you have to win and advance through, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, you're probably not wrong. I don't know. I mean, Columbus has really never threatened for a Champions Cup before. Like, this is kind of uncharted territory. If they even make the semifinals, that's the best ever performance they've had. So I think well, they're they're definitely the best MLS team at the moment. I would be interested. I mean, I don't know any crew fans personally. I would be interested to know what the pulse is of that fan base and what their expectations are. Just because I think given that League's Cup regionally was a success in terms of tickets and revenue and 
viewership on Apple. Like, I'm really thinking that this is the year that MLS clubs take this competition seriously and really try to push the envelope in terms of trying to win it, right? Not that we haven't done that in recent years, but collectively as a league, it would be nice for the league to get four or five teams in the quarterfinals. I don't know if you feel the same way, but. Uh, your internet broke up, so I'm just going to kind of freewheel it here. I, I, oh, oh, I asked, I just said, oh, okay. I'm just going to move. I'm just going to move <laughs> to the living room. This is good podcasting we got going we, on here. We have had way more luck in the living room in the past than in the office when things go crazy. I apologize if my lovely puppy whines. I mean, in terms of take competition seriously, I do think teams have been taking it seriously for a good amount of time. It's just resources stretched and you can only play so many people, so many minutes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, the timing of it is weird. I mean, we saw LAFC last year. They really fully committed to it. Ended up losing to Lyon in the final. They took a hit in the MLS regular season at the beginning of the year. And even though they were the best team probably in the West, they ended up finishing second to St. Louis because St. Louis didn't have that distraction. So if anything, I'll be interested to see, you know, how. Oh, you cut, you, you cut out there. And I don't know if that's on my Wi-Fi or yours, but anyway, let's just go, let's just go ahead and move on because somebody doesn't want us to talk about this. So in our next round of 16 matchup, this is the second of three that does not have a team who earned a buy. Um, and we'll see uh, MLS side, Vancouver Whitecaps and the winner of the Canadian championship taking on another Mexican giant in Tigres that winner will play the winner of Orlando City SC and Canadian Darlings Cavalry FC in the round of 16. Did I cut out again? Are we are we talking about the white caps? Are we trying to talk about the white caps? Ladies Do and we need to abort this podcast episode? Ladies and gentlemen, at 9.19 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, January 23rd, things have gone completely off the rails, whether it be my internet in Lexington, South Carolina, or Andy's in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> okay. We've got Vancouver versus T-Grace, and we've got Orlando against... Uh, was it Cavalry or Forge? It is Cavalry FC. Cavalry. They won the they won the Cavalry. CPL Shield as a regular season uh, champions. That's their second Shield in history. They've never won the the whole thing. Cavalry legitimately might be the worst team in this whole competition. I would not be surprised if they lose to Orlando by nine goals. Um, Orlando will be making their second appearance. Uh, they got their debut last year. Tough draw out of the gate. They played T-Grace um, in the round of 16. Got eliminated on away goals after a 1-1 time aggregate. Pretty gutsy performance from them. 
we talked about them in the MLS playoffs, how they really needed a good number 10 to kind of push them over the edge. Well, they were listening. They went out and got Nico Ladero, Seattle Sounders club legend, won two MLS Cups there and a Champions Cup with the Sounders. He's 34 years old, so he's, you know, kind of the back half of his prime. But, you know, at his peak, one of the best players in MLS. going to be really interesting to see if that pushes Orlando over the edge to maybe win a trophy outside of their 2022 U.S. Open Cup title. The other matchup in this section, Vancouver and Tigres, they have met in the Champions Cup before in the 2017 semifinals. Tigres took the aggregate lead after a 2-1 win at home. Then U.S. men's national team legend Breck Shea scored in the third minute in the return leg at BC Place to give the white hope. But Andre Pinergi dashed those hopes. Tigres won 4-1 to on aggregate. Now, these two teams also renewed their acquaintances in the round of 32 in this year's League's Cup. Pierre Gignac scored a bicycle kick to equalize the match at 1-1, which sent it straight to penalty kicks in that beautiful format. Where Tigres keeper Nahuel Guzman put on a magic show, literally. Before the second penalty attempt, he acted like a mime. Didn't save that one. But then with the shootout tied 3-3 after three rounds. Like, told the ref, like, hey, like, give me one second here. And then proceeded to pull several feet of ribbon out of his mouth. And then made the game-winning save as Tigre won the shootout 5-3 over the Whitecaps. So I could not be more excited to see these two teams play each other again. And hopefully Guzman does some more wild shit. I think how's our Wi-Fi doing? I think we've got it figured out. I'm I, I'm not gonna lie. I hope the listeners at home got most of that because I was barely listening, trying to make sure that the connection stays stable. Um, so I'm assuming what you said was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I'll also throw in that Tigre, the Concacaf Champions Cup. They also became the first CONCACAF club to make the final of a Club World Cup where they lost to Bayern Munich. I would assume that they're probably the favorite of these four to make it to the quarterfinals. But as you mentioned, the fact that Vancouver and Tigres already have a level of history, I think makes that tie really appealing. Um what I don't love is Vancouver not playing at BC Place, whether it be because of a scheduling conflict or whatever. The opening leg of that tie will be played at something called Starlight Stadium somewhere <laughs> in in British Columbia, home of Pacific SC and some rugby team in Canada, uh, both of which I believe are semi-pro teams. Um so they'll be playing Tigres legitimately in front of a crowd, a max crowd of, I think, 4,000 people on maybe FS2, which is just hysterical. Like, imagine Andre Pierre Gignac, who's like played in some of France's biggest stadiums, is now somewhere in British Columbia playing in front of Scott Olson eating poutine on a random Tuesday night in Vancouver. <laughs> And that's the glory of it. I mean, Vancouver, 
only made this uh only made the champions cup because they won the canadian championship which is our friends to the north version of the u.s open cup like they had a pretty mid mls season they finished 13th in the supporter shield lost in the first round of the playoffs fell in the round of 32 at league's cup so not exactly world beaters i will say the 2017 run from the semifinals for vancouver you know who was playing for them at that time Tell me. A 16-year-old Alfonso Davies. Mm, talk to me nice. Who was wearing number 67 and scored talk a goal to me against nice. New York Red Bulls at one point. This was before he won the Champions League with Bayern Munich. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Soccer heritage in Vancouver. Let's keep this going because I think it's starting to get past everybody's bedtime. So the third and final round of 16 tie with no team with a bye will feature the winners of the first round matchups. The first between yet another Mexican giant in Monterey against, I believe that is Guatemalan side communicaciones. Correct. That's Guatemala? correct. Heck yeah. And the winner of that will play. Uh, 2023 MLS supporters, Shield winners, FC Cincinnati, and Jamaican side, Cavalier. Which means Luciano Acosta, despite not being able to play for the U.S. men's national team, will in fact get the opportunity to play a road match in Kingston, Jamaica, on the gravel road in the Caribbean. Which is what we're all here for. Uh, so Monterey and Comunicaciones have played each other in this competition before in the 2011-2012 group stage of the Champions League. Comunicaciones actually won 1-0 in Guatemala. Then Monterey won 3-1 in Mexico. Rayados eventually won the group and then beat three Mexican opponents, Morelia, Pumas, and Santos Laguna, in route to winning the championship that year. Monterey has won five CONCACAF Champions Cup titles in their history, um, which is interesting because for all their success at the continental level, they have only won five Liga MX titles. Uh, really? Like, yeah, 10th most all-time over in Mexican clubs. Um, they, I think they've really only been successful like really recently, which is kind of fascinating. Like five total? I mean, you get two, five cracks, total. At, two cracks at the cherry every year, too. They got five. Wow. Now, to be fair, Liga MX has a ton of parity, like a ton of different teams. Win. It's also very hard to win because, unlike MLS, they stick to the two-legged ties in their yeah. playoffs. So that's still crazy to me, though. Anyway, yeah, continue. club like Club America has the most in Mexico, and they have fourteen. Where you look at like Costa Rica, Sabrina has thirty. Yeah, that's true. Um, but even yeah. still, it is kind of an interesting dichotomy for them. Um, our guy to watch Brandon Vasquez, the U.S. men's national team striker, $7.5 million price tag coming from Cincinnati. So we could very well have a Brandon Vasquez derby in the round of 16. That which would, would be, be fantastic. Beautiful. Which is honestly probably the likely scenario. Um, I don't think, I mean, Communication is kind of barely scraped in. They are one of the more successful Guatemalan sides. Um, actually the most, they've won 32 Guatemalan titles. Story time, they have technically won a CONCACAF Champions Cup title in 1978. They advanced to the final stage out of the Central American region, 
along with North America's Leones Negros, who are currently in Mexico's second division, and the Caribbean region's Defense Force from Trinidad and Tobago. They were eliminated in the group stage of the Caribbean Cup this year. Administrative problems and disputes over match dates resulted in the whole thing just being scrapped, and the three sides shared the championship. So make of that what you will, but Los Cremas are technically Champions Cup title holders from 1978. Granted, I do not think they're going to do great against Monterey. My guy to watch for them is Carlos Mejia. He's now in his third stint at Comunicaciones after playing elsewhere in Guatemala. He scored eight goals for the Guatemalan national team, including the beautiful winning goal in a 3-2 comeback win over Guadalupe in this year's Gold Cup group stage that won the group for Guatemala in a Red Bull arena that was packed with Guatemalan fans. FC Cincinnati, this will be their debut in the Champions Cup. We've talked about before, they won the Wooden Spoon three years in a row in their first three MLS seasons and just won the Supporter Shield in their fifth season. First trophy in club history. Absolutely massive turnaround. Lucho Acosta, he's a reigning MLS MVP. He's got to be the guy to watch. He scored 20 goals across all competitions in 2023, but he's honestly a passer first. He also won the league's goal of the year for this like insane solo run from midfield. Going to be fun to watch him play. Cavalier FC, baby, who are making their debut as well. No Jamaican team has ever won a Champions Cup title. They're the only Jamaican team in this season's competition, but they are hardly a powerhouse for their home nation. They have won just two league titles, tied for ninth most all time. Uh, my guy to watch is Chenille Thomas. He won the Golden Boot in the Caribbean Cup. He scored eight goals, including two separate hat tricks. Um, that performance actually got him a call up to the Jamaican national team and a friendly against Guatemala at the end of the year. Um, I'm sorry. I'm I'm now reading. I, I had to read over that Comunicaciones story again. <laughs> it just like. <laughs> That is the most. That is the the because Concacaf takeaway of the day is that in '78 we decided, fuck it, we're just not even going to try. Just give it to everyone. We we don't feel like putting this on anymore. All I'll say is low key, simply because of environments in Central America, Comunicaciones and Monterrey, I think low key could be one of the better matchups in this first round yeah, simply because fun. that first leg at Estadio Doroteo like I so, so there may only be sickos that listen to this and it probably only is but the U.S. men's national team I don't believe has ever won a road match in Guatemala City to my sounds to, right. To if my they have, knowledge. it's been a while. And they and that stadium is the Guatemala national team's home stadium. And if there's ever a time, given that Monterey's only won five League MX titles, to disappoint their fans and their media and lose one nil in Guatemala, that seems like the time. I mean, that's exactly what happened in 2011 in the group stage. They lost 1-0 in Guatemala. I could see them winning on aggregate, but like... It'll be it'll games. be squeaky bum time in that second leg in Monterey. Oh, yeah. Um, 
And I think if we can get a Brandon Vasquez Derby in the round of 16, that would just be chef's kiss. That would just be be chef's kiss. All right. Moving on to our final round of 16 matchup. We have arguably the newest and most popular team in all of North America, led by Lionel Messi and Inter-Miami FC, who earned a round of 16 berth after winning the 2023 Leagues Cup title. They will be playing the winner of the of either the 2023 Leagues Cup runners-up in Nashville or <laughs> Dominican Republic darling, who qualified at all through the Caribbean Cup after winning earning what winning the third place game they won the third place match to get of the in, caribbean cup and i, I want to make sure i get the fc in the right place mocha fc of the dominican republic which means andy's favorite right is it this one yeah, yes Sabao. andy's favorite stadium during nations league and probably in the entire region, Estadio Cibao is the where Nash- tree, baby. <laughs> is where Nashville SC will begin their 2024 campaign in all competitions. <laughs> I feel like this is I feel like 2023 was just the year of Dominican soccer between having a club actually qualify for the Champions Cup, which rarely much like Nicaragua rarely happens. And they they also qualified for the Olympics for the men, which was a enormous upset. Um, I do not have a ton of faith in Mocha against Nashville, although it would be hilarious if Mocha beats Nashville, which would mean Lionel Messi and Sergio Busquets and Luis Suarez would have to go play on the road in at Estadio Cibao behind the giant tree. Um, I got to watch for Mocha, uh, Simon Veras. Uh, he's got a handful of caps for the U20 team. He might feature at the Olympics this year. Nashville, they only qualified also through League's Cup because they, I mean, they finished 12th in the Sporters Shield standings, lost in the quarterfinals of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals to Orlando. Didn't have a, a great U.S. Open Cup. I don't know if you remember that League's Cup final but that was incredibly lit. Went to mm-hmm. 11 rounds of penalty shootout. Drake Callender, the inner Miami goalie scored his penalty and then had to make the save to win it. So we could get a rematch of that in the round of 16, which would be a ton of fun. I don't think we need to talk about who inner Miami is. I do think it's worth mentioning and reminding that Lionel Messi's introduction to competitive soccer on American soil was coming off the bench in the League's Cup group stage against Cruz Azul and scoring a game-winning free kick in stoppage time. If that's not the most Lionel Messi, I am the greatest player of all time thing to ever happen, I don't know what is. And I think it is worth, obviously he's the player to watch. It's not going to be anyone else besides him. As much as I love Benjamin Kramaski. This is another good reminder that it is so important to just appreciate what we're going to witness and the CONCACAFiness of Messi playing in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. I hope we get some weird, I hope they make a run and we get some weird matchups. Like it would be fantastic if 
It's like communication. It's like pulls a couple upsets and Messi has to go to Guatemala. Although they did, they did just, they played the El Salvador national team in San Salvador in a friendly for some reason the other day. But uh, I am thrilled to hopefully watch Messi just really just get down in the weeds of CONCACAF with us. It's going to be a blast. I am now looking at this entire bracket and I'm sure it is set up this way by design, but at first glance here, my genuine belief, if you put a gun to my head and nobody's putting anything to my head at all, but is that you'll see in the semis, it looks like the top half is going to be Pachuca and America. And it wouldn't surprise me if in the lower half it's Columbus and inner Miami. So two Mexican sides and two American sides in the semis playing to, and who knows where the final is going to be. I'm fascinated to see if, well, if you know what, if inner Miami is in the final, it'll probably be in Miami. I don't know what I'm saying or why I think it'll be any other way. If Lionel Messi's in the final, they're going to play that game in Miami and probably play it at like hard rock stadium or something. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. And hey, Miami pure... crew would be a fantastic semifinal. That'd be awesome. Well, you could, if it shapes up that way, you could see inner Miami play Nashville in the round of 16 in a rematch of that league's cup final. They could likely play FC Cincinnati in the quarters, which would be a rematch of that epic U.S. Open Cup semifinal right after the League's Cup, yep. and then potentially play Columbus, who you could argue is who they're going to need to go through this season in MLS yep. in the semis. It'd be funny that there's all this hype around Messi potentially bringing himself to all of these Central American clubs and he just goes through he could easily just play MLS teams. yeah there, there's like a legitimate path where he plays nothing but mls teams or he could in the final play sv robin hood yeah that would be phenomenal could you imagine messi going to the dominican like how like how much would those tickets be like they would have to move that first leg somewhere right I don't know if there is a venue in the I like I am pretty sure Mocha doesn't even play at Estadio Cibao. I think they are playing in that stadium because it's the only one that can meet the capacity of Nashville. Let alone like they would have to play, they'd probably have to play at a neutral site. Could you imagine? I mean, I mean, sorry, I've, I'm like I really really want Nashville to win because I just want as many MLS sides to advance as possible throughout this competition. But could you imagine? <laughs> uh, it would be fantastic. That's actually what all I want. I want maximum chaos in this tournament. Oh. There are, I mean, I think there's, there's going to be some really interesting. I mean, there's, I think there's definitely gonna be some blowouts in this first round, but basically any matchup that has a Costa Rican team. So Philadelphia, Saprisa, Toluca, Aridiano, I think will be really good. I think Revolution Independiente will be a good one. I think Monterey Comunicaciones will be good. Like, there's definitely several really intriguing matchups. And Houston, St. Louis, you get two MLS teams playing each other right off the bat. I think I'll say my favorite part, and this is this goes back to what you said in my bet in the best man speech that you said at my wedding. I think my favorite part 
is just looking at the bracket before anything happens because there's so much wonder. And it's just like when we would make those brackets and <laughs> not finish them when we would play FIFA. That is what I'm feeling right now. Because like the potential of a, an America Chivas round of 16 pair of legs is just like, like, can you imagine the chaos there? Like, oh, a second leg in Azteca to go to the quarters of the Champions Cup. <sighs> Scenes. Time to talk about some stuff. It is a Liga MX round robin for you today. Uh, one of my news resolutions is to follow Liga MX more closely because it's just a fun league. It's a, a fun time. So the 2024 Liga MX Clausura is underway with two match days in the books. Liga MX actually shifted the format of its playoffs this year to mimic the NBA. So the top six teams at the end of the regular season make the quarterfinals directly, while the seventh through tenth teams complete compete in a play-in to determine the final two seeds. From there, every round, including the final, is a home and away two-leg aggregate matchup. The away goal rule is not in effect. Instead, the higher seed will simply advance if the teams are tied after two legs, which is wild, except for the final, which will go to extra time. Five different teams are off to a perfect start with two wins and six points so far. Top among them is Club America, the reigning 2023 Apertura champions. After a 2-0 win at Tijuana, Las Aguilas completed a dominant 2-0 win over Cuaratoro at Estadio Azteca, thanks to a screaming long-distance strike off the underside of the crossbar from Paraguayan international Richard Sanchez and a lovely team move started by our boy, U.S. men's national team legend, winner, Alex Zendejas that resulted in Alvaro Fidalgo squaring for newly naturalized Mexican international Julian Quinones to tap it in. Both Nuevo Leon rivals, Monterrey and Tigres, have started the season off with a pair of wins as well. Monterrey opened with a 2-0 win over Puebla, and this Sunday secured a 2-0 win on the road at Santos Laguna in a battle of northern clubs with goals from Argentine international Maximiliano Meza and Jordi Cortizo. Tigres opened the year with a pair of impressive victories and a 2-1 win away to Lyon, then a rainy 1-0 win over Guadalajara through Olympic bronze medalist Sebastian Cordova's half-volley of Juan Brunetta's cross. One of the more surprising undefeated clubs to date is Atletico San Luis, who to their credit were semifinalists in the Apertura, but have never won a Liga MX championship at all. They opened their campaign with a 1-0 win over bottom-dwellers Mazatlan, then got a big 3-1 win over Mexico City Gigante Pumas with goals from Brazilian striker Leo Bonatini, French midfielder Sebastian Sales Lamange, and Benjamin Galdames. But the most surprising team with two wins so far is Necaxa, the club that finished dead last in the Apertura. They have won three Liga MX titles in their history, but none since 1998. They beat Atlas 2-1 during the opening weekend, then Friday, after being on the back foot for the entire match and conceding a penalty to Puebla in the 59th minute, got two-headed goals within four minutes of each other in the 79th and 83rd from Edgar Mendez and Diberi Cambindo to scare a second straight 2-1 to win. Cordova and Bonatini are leading the Golden Boot race, along with America's Salvador Reyes and Toluca's John Meneses, a Chilean international who all have two goals apiece. Um. That playoff format is ridiculous. Oh, you're tied. Better team goes. 
It's incentive to keep pushing if you're it, the away team. It it makes sense because and it provides I, a lot of incentive to be the higher seed. Yeah, and if you win the regular season title, you like that's an advantage you have all the way to the final. Yeah. If you're the first or the second seed, that's what you have all the way to the final. It's interesting. I, I mean, the Apertura, none got tied on aggregate. So, like, the rule never applied. Like, okay. every game was just decided mm-hmm. regardless. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on today's uh, episode? <laughs> We've talked for way too long. Um, but soccer is the best. And I'm very excited for Champions Cup. As am I. Well... After a long hiatus and a long break, um, Andy, I think it's safe to say January's been a quiet month, but fascinating month for both you and I, both in professional and personal lives. So not going to lie, this was a nice bit of normalcy for me. I'm excited to continue to get some normalcy. Man, we have so much coming up in February and March. Like, like it's about to just ramp up. We got Champions Cup. First round, we've got the W Gold Cup coming up. And then once all that gets through, we'll be at everyone's beloved Nations League finals and Jerry World in March. I mean, I just, I think hosting it's the World Cup final me. for some reason as well. Jerry yeah, World. I don't want to get, I'm like, I don't want to, no, I'm, I'm not interested in having that conversation right now. So <laughs> anyway, we'll have that conversation at a later date. For those that may be listening, no matter where you may be listening. Thank you for making Because CONCACAF a part of your day, night, afternoon. Have a great day, everybody. See you.